0: Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God, our Father, and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. There's been a lot written about it lately, and I'm not sure why. Something called the imposter syndrome. According to studies, it's often the dirty little secret of high achievers. They might be riding a wave of success and respect, but deep down they feel like complete frauds. They believe they owe their accomplishments to lots of luck or simply being in the right place at the right time. They might feel like they owe it to their background or their personality or maybe their circumstances, but definitely not to their abilities. They would never be comfortable agreeing with the old Smith Barney investment tagline, at Smith Barney, we make money the old fashioned way. We earn it. If you're old enough to remember those commercials, then you probably remember that it wasn't long before comedians put their own spin on it and turned it into, we make money the old-fashioned way. We inherit it, which probably is a lot closer to the old-fashioned way. Just last May, the now combined wealth management company, Morgan Stanley Smith Barney, was ordered by the SEC to pay a $5 million fine to its customers who were misled about its fees. Uh, Nothing particularly old-fashioned about that. Believing that what you've accomplished in life has nothing to do with your own God-given talents can make for a kind of prison. You're always worrying about the day you'll get caught and exposed, even though you have actually earned it. Christians can fall into this trap because we preach salvation by that, that can't be earned. It can only be accepted uh, by faith in Jesus as God's free gift. We're being reminded that we need that gift because... We're in this tug of war with our sinful natures can make us feel like an imposter when we hear the words of the absolution spoken over us. We believe we're forgiven, even though we have trouble understanding how God possibly could, and we're just sad that we constantly have to be. It doesn't make us imposters, though. It just makes us grateful and free. The posers Jesus is talking about in our gospel parable this morning are unbelievers. People living among us whose lives might look an awful lot like ours apart from their hearts. Where the Holy Spirit resides in the hearts of believers, there's only an empty space waiting for him in theirs. It's important to remember the the difficulty we have, telling the difference. A con man named Victor Lustig once sold the Eiffel Tower in the 1920s. Earlier in his criminal career, he stayed busy convincing passengers on ocean liners to buy his money printing machines. By the time they realized they'd been swindled, of course, he was long gone. And then he read that the Eiffel Tower that was built for the 1889 World's Fair had only been intended to last 20 years, and it was in need of repairs, and it was expensive to maintain. Lustig set up meetings with some of the city's scrap metal dealers with the story that the tower was slated to be demolished. One of them even bribed him so that he could secure the winning bid. After paying a large sum to take possession of the tower, the man realized he'd been tricked. He was so embarrassed by the con that he never pressed charges. Imposters are everywhere. Always have been, always will be. They're sort of a metaphor for the, the weed seed sown by an enemy in Jesus' parable. Back in the first century, the problem of agricultural contamination couldn't be more serious than messing with someone's daily bread. And worse, wheat was one of the most susceptible staples of life to adulteration. When Jesus wanted to illustrate the difficulty in separating those who would be part of the kingdom of heaven from those who would not, he turned to the wheat fields. And so... We're back on the farm again this week. Last week, we looked at Jesus' parable of the sower. In today's parable, this earthly story with a heavenly meaning, Jesus describes a man who sold, sowed good wheat seed in his field, and then while he slept, his enemy came and sowed weed seed among his wheat. When the wheat came up, so did the imposters, probably darnella, weed that looks an awful lot like wheat um, until it, it begins, while well, it's growing. In fact, uh, until it begins to ripen, you can hardly tell the difference. Unfortunately, the darnell is also a little poisonous. That means that it can make a person or an animal sick or maybe even kill them, so it's, it's not simply like uh, a few dandelions coming up in your yard. Like most weeds, its roots go deep, deeper than wheat. That's why, when the man's servants discover and offer to pull it up, the farmer tells him to wait until the harvest. He knows that you can't get the weeds up without uprooting and destroying the wheat as well. He can't be happy about it, but he'll be patient and he'll wait until it can be separated and then burned at the harvest. Something to remember here. Now, when did the bad seed in the story get sown? While everyone was sleeping. It was a fairly common practice in ancient warfare to destroy your enemy's crops. If you could destroy his agricultural base, then his military power would soon follow. Soldiers who can't eat, can't fight. That part people could relate to, and people understood its practicality on the surface, but even Jesus' disciples didn't understand its spiritual meaning, and who could blame them? Later, when they were alone together, he explains... He tells them that the man who sows the good seed is the son of man. That's what Jesus liked to call himself. Uh, remember, he was true God, uh, begotten of the Father, but he was also true man, born of Mary. So son of God according to his divine nature, son of man according to his human nature. Now the field in this story, he says, is the entire world. The seed, the good seed, isn't the gospel like last week. This time it's people, uh, children of God's kingdom. Believers. The weeds, on the other hand, are, are sons of the evil one, and the enemy who, who sowed them is the, the diabolos in the biblical Greek, the devil. The harvest is an end times picture where the angels are separating the weeds from the wheat, the unbelievers from the believers, tying the weeds into bundles and throwing them into a fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. A place where you burn, but you won't burn up. You don't want to go there. Unbelievers will have to face Jesus' condemnation. Believers will share in the glory of God in heaven forever. While it might be hard for you and I to always tell the, the weeds from the wheat because we can't see into a person's heart, there's someone who does. And because he does, nobody really gets away with anything. There was a time in church history when church leaders were convinced they could tell the difference, And they spent a lot of time and often did a lot of damage to the faith and and to a lot of innocent people trying to do God's job for him. Uh, Thinking about the Crusades, the Spanish Inquisition, uh, the witch trials. On the surface, they were all attempts to root out and, and destroy heresy. In reality, they were often political tools, power struggles, money grabs. Jesus is saying today, that's God's job. Now, does that mean we're not supposed to be concerned about unbelievers in our midst? No, of course not. But we shouldn't go around condemning them or persecuting them or or starting wars with them, religious wars. History has already tried that, and it didn't solve the problem. God wants everyone to be saved, and so should we. But we also know that's not going to happen. That's really all Jesus is trying to say here. But you and I both know the problem of religion and imposters isn't always a black and white issue. It's filled with shades of gray. We live among the weeds and the weeds live among us. They might turn out to be our friends or acquaintances, our bosses or business associates. And as different as belief and unbelief are, they can influence us because we start out with one foot in the barrel, our sinful natures. You know, the California prison system has already released 10,000 prisoners, I think since March, due to overcrowding, um, just this year with another 8,000 expected to be released by the end of of this month because of the COVID. Not the bad prisoners, they tell us, the good prisoners, even though a judge and jury somewhere decided they were bad enough to be in prison in the first place. I'm glad I don't have to make those kinds of tough decisions, but it seems like they might be sowing more weeds among the wheat in in a secular sense. And no one can argue that the presence of weeds makes it hard for the wheat to prosper and grow. That's another thought this parable brings to mind, if we're honest with ourselves. We already live as if we've been cross-pollinated. We don't necessarily surrender our faith to the sower of weeds, but his seeds of unbelief sure do work to, to bring doubt and conflict into our lives, don't they? If the spiritual bad guys catch us napping, we may wake up to find ourselves in the thick of a weed patch. It's like when you don't stay on top of your lawn maintenance. You'll see weeds begin to pop up everywhere. They seem to require less water, no fertilizer. They spread like crazy, and it's in their nature to eventually choke out the good grass. It won't be obvious. They won't try to sell you the Eiffel Tower. It's more subtle, more uh, insidious. And before long, you're laughing along with, uh, with, with off-color remarks or helping to spread gossip. Your married eye begins to wander. Um, you, you, you ignore your moral compass. Uh, in order to get ahead at work. You know, time to pull a few weeds, maybe. Maybe thin out that patch you think of as your circle of friends. Or just walk away when it's, when it's appropriate. You don't need to start a, a war to avoid a defeat. And nobody likes to pull weeds, but sometimes it needs to be done. Even though, like in Jesus' parable, it may come at a cost. And pulling out the weeds in our own life, while it can be painful is sometimes a necessary part of walking in the light of Christ. What about just dozing? Well, that's not exactly napping, is it? That's just sort of drifting along on your thoughts. During this COVID crisis, it's become easier than ever to drift away from God's word. With services being held online, nobody's around to hold you accountable. Nobody knows who watches and who doesn't. Well, it's not exactly true. Jesus' parable tells us somebody does. He knows. He knows every single person who's wandered away from every Sunday worship service since we've had to go online. We got close to coming back this past week, this week. And then, well, then we got shot down and shut down again. You know, it's some small comfort, I suppose, to know that that uh, uh, any protesters did too, but it doesn't really help our cause. God knows every single person who has wandered away from the study of his word. We still have online Bible studies to help keep you in touch, but all of you aren't in one. You can't catch the COVID by watching. Missing one week's online service might make you feel a little guilty. Missing two weeks gets easier. And eventually not watching at all becomes a stubborn, noxious weed with deep roots that will be hard to pull up. You know, one whose roots will will eventually become interconnected with the roots of of the worldly people and worldly ways and, and worldly influences. And Satan's influence has only one purpose, to choke out your relationship with God. Entire false religions are filled with people who are taught and would swear that they're Christians. And they believe it. And they live good lives. But at their root, they've been deceived usually by putting their faith into a, a false savior. They don't have Jesus right. Even God's people can be fooled, easily fooled by people who appear to be one thing on the outside, but are actually a whole different thing on the inside. Now, the Bible doesn't separate people into the, the foolers and the foolies. It doesn't divide them racially or, or, or uh, socially or intellectually or, or even financially. Every life matters. So it divides them spiritually into lost and found. Weeds among the wheat. There's a, 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 It's a very real enemy. And Jesus wants, to, wants us to know that. He wants to make that point this morning. Satan's not just some myth somebody invented to, to scare children into behaving. And his followers don't always look like an enemy. We need to know that. We need to, to believe that. Satan and his family are the ultimate enemy of God, of God's children, and God's church. He'll stop at nothing to disrupt the lives of believers, to draw them away from God, to stir up conflict within the family of God. We have to be aware of what Satan is up to. We can't afford, afford to, to fall asleep on this job. That's why the scriptures are filled with admonitions to, to stay alert. Uh, Ephesians Ephesians 6.18 says, Be alert and always keep on praying for the saints, the believers. And in 1 Peter 5.8, the apostle writes, Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Because we're not paying attention, Satan can get the Church of Christ embroiled in conflict. We've taken great care, for example, in the reopening process. And no matter what the final, final version ends up looking like, Everybody isn't going to be happy with it. You know, one service, two services, or three. Singing or no singing. Getting your temperature taken, signing your name to whether or not you've been sick, and what? No donuts? There'll be all kinds of handles for Satan to grab onto that he can use to pull us away from God. This, this new way of doing church is just too much trouble. All the precautions are just too inconvenient. There aren't enough people here for it to even feel like church. I miss my church friends who aren't able to be here. Or handles he can use to pull us away from each other. Feelings about some of these precautions can run deep. But those things have more to do with a person's feelings than it does with their faith. You know, we're the good guys here, all of us, and we'll get through this. The other thing we have to do, like the farmer in the parable, is... To learn to be patient. We have a Savior in all of this, one who has earned for us the forgiveness of all our sins, one who has earned for us the righteousness that God sees uh, in us through our faith in Him, even though we might see ourselves as the biggest, baddest weed in the whole garden. An imposter Christian. That's just not true, because through faith in the Son of God, our Father in heaven sees a beautiful rose. The last thing to remember is that while Jesus is going to return, until he does, we may be the closest thing to him many people get a chance to see. We have to show the world there's a difference between the wheat and the weeds by how we live, by how we face challenges. So let's be patient. Let's endure life's trials knowing they don't begin to compare with what Jesus endured for you and I. Be patient with others. It's not our job to judge. We only have to look in the mirror to see why. We're a long way from perfect ourselves. And finally, everybody is worth saving. You know, look around next time you're out. No matter where your eyes fall, Jesus died for that person too, to save that person. That alone, apart from anything else, gives them value and worth. It gives you and I value and worth. And that makes us all invaluable to God. Amen. And now, may that very special peace of God that passes all understanding keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Amen.